Would you guys just join me in thanking in due time to be here to worship with us this morning? You'll get to hear him one more time at the end of the, the service today. If you have your Bibles, please join me in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And we'll pick up where we left off in verse 14. And as you find your place there, just a couple announcements that I want to bring to your attention. As always, there are more in here than what I uh, have time to read to you, but um, just a couple of things we want to point out. Um, Next week is the uh, final week that you can bring in your shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. So if you've got one of those at home and you've been meaning to fill it up, well, fill it up this week and bring it back next Sunday. They'll be, they'll be shipping them out next Sunday afternoon, so make sure you get it back here next Sunday morning. We also don't want to forget to mention our Thanksgiving baskets, because next week will be our final week that you can drop off um, some of the non-perishable goods, and you can find a list out of the Welcome Center, the handout that's been in the bulletin for a few weeks now, of some of those items. If you, um, if you would also like to be involved in other ways, of course, uh, we still need some help with financial donations that will help cover the cost of the turkey and other perishable items, as well as uh, being involved in the distribution on November 19th. There's a sign-up sheet on that table that has all those, those canned goods starting to pile up out there if you want to help us out with the distribution. So look for ways that you can be involved and help us reach some needy folks and needy families in our community. Today, before we, uh, before we open up God's Word together, I also want to, I just want to take a moment and, uh, and pray for a couple of very important needs. Um, first of all, I want to be in prayer for our election this week. It's a very important time in our, in our country. And I also want to pray for, today is, today is the national, um, the annual Pray for the Persecuted Church Sunday. This is a time when churches all over, especially in places like in the West where we have the freedoms that we do, where we take a minute to stop and pray for our brothers and sisters who are in places where it's, it's uh, well, they can't gather together like this. They don't have the freedoms that we do as Americans. And uh, there, are, there are brothers and sisters that we have all over the world who, who are uh, in prison, husbands and wives who have been separated um, and, and can't join together in worship, uh, believers who, who huddle together in small groups um, in, in remote places for fear of drawing attention to themselves, places where the Word of God cannot be freely distributed and, and bought uh, and obtained, and so they treasure just a page or two of the Scriptures. We're, we're in, a, in a very blessed nation uh, but there are a lot of people around this world who, um, who are struggling and hurting this morning because of persecution from the governments that they live under. And so we just want to bow before we study God's Word today and remember these important needs. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I know I take for granted the chance that we have here to freely gather on Sunday mornings, to be able to proclaim your Word, to fellowship with one another, to share Christ, and then to leave here to be able to share Christ with co-workers, family members, and know that the worst persecution we're probably going to face, at least right now, is that we'll get rejected by some of these people. We know that in many countries around the world, the penalties are far greater. It can mean imprisonment or even death for sharing the name of Christ. So, Lord, we pray for these men and women 
our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are suffering today in various ways, that you would strengthen and encourage them, give them great endurance for the cause of the gospel, allow loosening of of the the strict laws that they face so that they could be reunited with families and, and with their church families and be able to, without obstacle, proclaim the gospel of the Savior they love so much. Lord, we ask also that you would be at work in the midst of our nation as we face some important elections this week. Lord, we ask that your will be done. We ask that you would calm our hearts and our fears that that we have over what might happen following these elections, that we would trust you as our sovereign God to accomplish your will in our midst. Again, open up our eyes to your word as we have the privilege to study together this morning. Give us eyes to see, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Gospel of Mark Chapter 7, the title of today's message is The Heart of the Matter. We said two weeks ago as we looked at the first portion of this chapter as Jesus spoke to the religious leaders and he told them that God is not, not, God is not concerned about these outward rituals you go through. He, he wants to get to the heart. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. And so he's going to go on in these verses, and what he does is he shifts from just talking to a, the small group of people to, to speaking to the crowds around him and to his disciples. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 14. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that's going into him uh, that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he'd entered the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside, it can't defile him. Since it enters not his heart, but is in his stomach and it's expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they are what defile a person. I don't think our world-famous local bakery does this to people. But in the bakery that I had in my little hometown growing up, they did this awful, awful, they pulled this awful trick on people. They sold, they sold both long johns and filled long johns. And so you could go, and if, if you were in a hurry, and you didn't specifically order, for example, a custard-filled long john or a cream-filled long john, if you just said, can I please have a chocolate-covered long john, they may give you... This, this unfilled piece of bread. And it was always so disappointing because, you know, whatever your flavor, whether you're a custard person or a cream person, you're looking forward to getting what's inside. And you take that big bite and you think, oh, maybe they put it in a little further this time. So you take a second bite and a third bite and you're about halfway into this thing and you realize that it's not there. 
And it was discouraging. You were expecting to find something else. And it was completely hollow and empty on the inside. When I buy a long john at, at Cops and Donuts, it's what's on the inside that counts. And in a very much more important and spiritual way, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's telling us that you can go through all the motions on the outside and you can look fine. You can look like a long john, but not really be a long john. You can look like a Christian. You can look squeaky clean like you've got it all together and be empty on the inside. We've probably all done it. I mean, I don't want to assume that we've all done it. We've all had those days where we come to church and we're a wreck, but we don't want anybody to know, right? Maybe things aren't great in our marriage. You've been... You've been given over to sin, and you don't want, want a person to know that. Maybe you and your, your family were fighting on the way over here. You're driving and trying to swing at kids in the back seat. And then you walk in the church, and you put on a face, and everybody looks great, and everybody's smiling. And when people ask you how you're doing, you say, I'm fine, and you lie through your teeth. I don't know. Maybe you haven't been there. We can put on a pretty good show. And Jesus was speaking to people who in his day could put on a pretty good show. And he wanted them to understand that God was concerned about their heart. God wasn't getting at washing hands. He wasn't getting at looking outwardly conforming, outwardly clean. He wanted them to get inwardly clean. If you're filling out the notes, it's just a very simple two-point outline today. The first thought is that the problem is deep. The problem goes beyond, if you remember the discussion at the beginning of chapter 7, it goes beyond washing hands or going through rituals to wash the cups and the pots and the copper vessels and the dining couches. It goes beyond that. The problem that we have is within. If you look at verse 15, he says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Another translation puts it like this. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus wanted the crowds the disciples, the religious leaders to get past outward conformity to his laws and realize that God wanted their hearts. We have to be careful as we talk to people about Christ that we don't slip into this mentality where we encourage people to clean up their act, put a, put a nice shirt on, come to church, stop drinking this, stop smoking that, and and, and, and God will accept you. Because what will create is exactly what Jesus was preaching against here. We'll create more Pharisees. People that on the outward look good, but on the inward, as he says, are full of dead man's bones. Our ultimate concern should not be clean hands, but a clean heart. The picture that Jesus paints of our hearts outside of Christ here in these verses is an ugly one. He says in verse 20, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And then he gives us in verse 21 an explanation of what our hearts look like. He says, for from within, 
Out of the heart of man come these things. The first thing he says is evil thoughts. These are evil reasonings. These are, these are schemes or plans, unkind, even hateful thoughts towards people. Evil thoughts. Have you ever found yourself arguing in your mind with someone? If I ever got a chance, I'd show them. And this is what I'd say. This is what I'd, this is, I'd let them have it. Scheming on how to manipulate a situation for your advantage. How to do something hurtful to someone. To get back at them because they hurt you. He says that's in our hearts. The second thing he lists is sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornea. It's a word that has a wide-ranging application. It can mean anything from fornication to sex outside of marriage. It can refer to homosexuality. It can refer to pornography. Any kind of sexual sin that falls outside of the bounds of God's prescription for sex within marriage, he says, that, that comes from within. He says, thirdly, theft. For many of us, it's probably not all that tempting we're going in to pay for our gas to swipe a candy bar whatever but maybe we look at other ways of of stealing things maybe it's stealing by by not reporting our hours accurately at work maybe it's cheating on our taxes because after all our government's corrupt and they don't deserve my money anyways so we justify it that way he says he says that comes from within he says murder Murder. Again, probably, probably, none of us here, I don't want to make assumptions, but probably none of us here killed anyone this week. Good job, everyone. (laughs) But you know as well as I do that in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus expanded that beyond just simply taking a life to, to hating a brother. Now, maybe, maybe some of us have been there this week, and hateful thoughts towards someone who wronged us, who hurt us. He says next, adultery, cheating on your spouse, not being faithful. He mentions coveting, coveting, it's the desiring of what belongs to other people. Look at our neighbors and what they have. See their new car pull in the driveway. Even, even things like their job, their financial status. Maybe it's their house. Maybe you're jealous that they're a Cubs fan and you're an Indians fan. Your team didn't win this week. Maybe it's, I mean, it's, it's hunting season, right? Maybe you see that new bow come out of the car. You know, they've got a primo hunting spot that someone's letting them hunt on this year. It seems silly, but those roots can build up in our hearts. And Jesus says, that's, out of that comes true defilement. He mentions wickedness. This is a broad term of evil, deceit, 
trying to lead someone astray, not practicing the truth. The Bible says God's a God of truth. You've seen this sort of thing front and center in the political season here, twisting the truth, the twisting facts to accommodate what you want your platform or your message to communicate. It's easy to, to see that in political candidates, but not, maybe not so easy to see it in ourselves. He says sensuality, again, that's a, a broad term that can refer to any kind of moral, sexual sin. Envy, closely related to greed. Slander, backbiting, people, going behind people's back to criticize, to ridicule, to speak evil. Pride, Awful sin that caused Satan to rebel against the Most High God. And then he finishes with foolishness, folly. Proverbs have a lot to say about the foolish person. This is someone who is desensitized morally and spiritually to the things of God. He says these things come from within. And and that's what defiles a person. I don't know about you, but... When I do something wrong, when I sin, I like to find somewhere else to place the blame. I don't want to think that these things come from within. I don't want to think that they come from my own heart. You know, when, 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 when you're short with your kids in the morning, you'd much rather blame it on their rambunctious or disobedient behavior than your own heart. When you snap at your spouse or speak an unkind word, it's much nicer to blame it on their stubbornness or, well, they said something mean first and they, they triggered this. If they hadn't said that, I wouldn't have done this. If your boss was a better person, if your coworkers were easier to get along with, if your financial situation wasn't the way it is, doggone it, I, I wouldn't have done that stuff. It's, it's great to find a scapegoat for our sin. Even Satan, right? I mean, Satan is, is the accuser of the brethren. We're going to see that in a moment. He, he wants to see us fall. He's going to tempt us. It can be easy, easy to blame it on him. There's that old comedian that always would say, the devil made me do it. And, and we, could, we could slip into that same mentality. It's not my fault. It's, you know, it's my circumstances. It's, it's the way things are. Jesus here is dispelling with that notion He says, listen, when you sin, when you do evil, when you commit these sins, the problem is looking right back at you in the mirror. It it comes from your own heart. Now, here's the great thing, is that the Bible says in, 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 in Jeremiah 31, under the new covenant, that God gives us a new heart. When we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that, that we become a new person. Behold, all things are made new. We're not the same person we once were. The Bible says that we're now, according to Romans 6, we died to sin. We no longer have to live in that bondage. And so that God has given us truly a a new heart. We're we're a new person. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So these things that Jesus mentions in these verses, they don't have to be our mode of operation. They they don't have to be who we are because the Bible says we died to those things. We're a new person. That's why like Ephesians and Colossians constantly remind us to put to death that old person because we're constantly being drawn back towards who we used to be. Our sinful flesh 
cries out to us and says, come on. Don't you remember what a great time we used to have? When we hung out with these people, when we went there, we weren't, you weren't stuck in church Sunday morning, you didn't have to hang out with those, those stuffy Christians. Come on, it was so much better, wasn't it? The old man calls to us. The old man deceives us from time to time into going back. Going back to the way that we live, but God's word over and over tells us again. In fact, I love the passage. It's the verses either in Romans 6 or Romans 7. But it says, what fruit did you derive from those things of which you are now ashamed? What do you have to show for, for, for the life lived for yourself and for sin? What good came out of that? To remind ourselves of these truths that we are a new person. How do, we, how do we get from this defiled heart to the new heart? Because no amount of work on our behalf, no amount of, of, of effort, no amount of, of self-help, no amount of labor can earn a new heart. And so while the problem is deep, we need to remember that the cleansing is complete. The cleansing is complete. And in my in my study of this passage, I came across a story. I was reminded of a story that I'd forgotten about in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Zechariah. I'll give you a second to turn there, but I, I want you to follow along as we read. Zechariah is not necessarily a book that we frequently I had to even put a bookmark in there because I didn't know if I'd be able to find it while I was up here preaching. It's not necessarily a book that we find ourselves in every day. But in this passage, the prophet sees a a vision of Joshua, the high priest. Now, this is a different Joshua than the Joshua from the book of Joshua, the battle of Jericho Joshua. This is a high priest who lived during Zechariah's time and of whom Zechariah sees a vision. And verse 1 says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's what Satan does to us. <laughs> Satan is, is known as the accuser of the brethren. He wants us to get tripped up and, and remind us of all the things that we've done wrong and that we continue to do wrong. And he wants, wants us to think that We've pushed the limits just too far, and we're no longer acceptable to God. And that's, he, was, he was accusing Joshua here. And verse 2 says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And there's so much we could say about that verse, but we'll go on to verse 3. It says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. Now, This may not trigger much for us coming from a 21st century mindset, but for a Jewish person reading those words in verse 3, they would have been alarmed, clothed in filthy garments. They would never have imagined a high priest clothed in filthy garments. The priest went through extensive 
purification rituals. For example, on the Day of Atonement, they would celebrate, which would be around early October, our time, the Hebrew celebration of Yom Kippur. He would go through several layers and levels of washing and then disrobing and going and fully bathing himself and then putting on another garment and then repeating the process and putting on yet another garment and so that as he was presented before the Lord, there was not to be a spot on his priestly clothing anywhere. And to read that he was ministering, it says, with filthy garments, would have been shocking to the Jewish person. Unthinkable that that he would dare approach clothed in such filth. In fact, the Hebrew seems to indicate that the word could be translated, uh, uh, instead of filthy garments, uh, the, the clothes were covered in excrement. It's a, it's, a, it's a disgusting word that, that shows the absolute filth that this priest was standing in and covered with. You see, when we as sinners come to God, we're covered in filth. We can try to, to clean things up. We can try to do the laundry, get the, get the tide out, get the shout, spray, wash, clean things up. Look squeaky clean, appear before other people as somebody who's all together. And we know the right stuff to do. You know that you could play the game. You, you could come to church every single Sunday. Uh, when my wife and I were at some meetings recently, uh, they, uh, one of the discussions that we had as pastors were just how to minister in the 21st century because church attendance, the philosophy with regard, regards to church attendance has completely changed from what it was 20, 30 years ago. The average church attendance uh, in the uh, United States now is, uh, uh, the average church attender comes 1.9 Sundays a, a month, 1.9 Sundays a month. And so we were just discussing how you minister to folks that you only see every other week, and how you reach out in, 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 in that way. But let's say you come every single week. You, you come during the week. You find activities that are going on. You make sure you're there. You're, you're involved in the dinner theater. If you're not involved in it, you're, you're going to come all every what, five or six nights of the show. I mean, you're all in to the church thing. Let's say you're a giver. You make sure that you give of your tithes and offerings to God. In fact, you're going to go above the, the 10% rule that was in the Old Testament, and you're going to give 15 or 20%. You're, you're going above and beyond. Let's say you study the Bible with your family every night before you tuck your kids into bed. You volunteer for organizations in the community that minister to needy people. You, you stay up late reading your Bible. You get up early to pray. You are faithful and fastidious in the things of God. But as far as being accepted by God, all that amounts to is trying to take a a baby wipe to the garments that are covered in filth and in excrement. 
Because none of those things can wash us clean. No matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we labor, even in the things that are really good, all those things I just listed are great things to do. They're commanded by God for Christians. But not one of them will make you acceptable to God. Joshua in this story stood before stood before God clothed in filthy garments. But look at what verse 4 tells us. The angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. Remove the filthy garments from him. The only way we can be washed clean is by having our filth removed by another. The only way our hearts can truly be cleansed is if it's God who's doing the cleansing. You notice in in the next sentence, it says, and, he said to him, said to, and to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. For Joshua, it took God, the angel of the Lord, draping clean garments over him for him to be cleaned. You know, the only way that you and I can find cleansing is by God spreading his garment. The song we sang, clothed in his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Tithing won't do it. Church attendance won't do it. Reading your Bible, being born in the right family, won't do it. Only God can put on us a spotless garment. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we're promised His righteousness, His standing before God, so that we can boldly approach the throne. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus reminds us of what our hearts are like apart from Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And, and, and if you're honest, you recognize that your heart is just like that. There's only one person that can give you a clean heart. And that's Jesus Christ. But for many of us who are believers, I believe the word that God wants us to hear this morning is to remind us of who we are. We have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. We're not this person anymore. Jesus said all these things boil up from within, and at times we find ourselves wooed back to these behaviors, wooed back to these sinful actions. And Jesus calls out to us this morning, put that off. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Remember, you don't wear those clothes anymore. You wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I want you to conduct your life like you do. Yes, the defilement, the problem, it does run deep. But rejoice with me this morning that God's cleansing runs deeper. Let's pray. Our gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you as 
as people in need of being reminded of these truths. Some of us this morning are maybe hearing for the first time that they need to be truly cleansed and clothed by another, that, that, that no matter how hard they work for you to earn your favor and your acceptance, that, it, that it's not going to come by our own merit. So Lord, speak to hearts this morning and, and remind us that it's only Jesus who can cleanse a sinful heart. But many of us this morning as believers know these truths, but maybe we're tempted to go back to who we once were. Lord, remind us of who we truly are now. And in Christ Jesus, we're no longer all that was wrapped up in our behavior and our lifestyle when we lived according to our sinful nature, our flesh. Lord, let us remember who we are in Christ. We might put on the new man and walk in holiness. Thank you, God, for your cleansing. Lord, create in us a clean heart today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.